What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hi, I'm Angie. And I'm Haley. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? this episode, we continue our celebration of spooky season by exploring the concept of fear in medicine with Alison Caulfield, an award-winning author, poet, and teacher who focuses on narrative medicine. She shares with us her piece titled Winter of Fear, a poem published in JAMA in April 2021 about caring for patients during the height of the COVID pandemic and the inevitable feelings of loneliness, uncertainty, and fear that arose. We discuss how poetry offers a unique lens through which we can view and reflect upon the world around us, and how it provides a platform to explore word choice intentionality and style variations in order to capture sentiment. Winter of fear. Not just because pronate to turn downward. Not just because no room, adult in child's bed, helpless. Not just because goodbye, no loving grasp of hands, no whispers, just screen, beekeepers, battery warnings almost gone. Because winter, because your responsibility and its weight. Not just because routine. Not just because big guy, because cancer, because terror, because lonely. Thank you so much for sharing that piece. That is a really wonderful poem. I'd like to have you start by introducing yourself and your current role for our listeners. Um, my name is Allison Kofelt, and I am a, an instructor in the um, Columbia University Narrative Medicine program in the CPA program, and I'm a writer, an author, and and so, yeah, I teach and I write. That's wonderful. And thank you so much for making time to join us on our podcast today. We are so excited to talk to you. It's great to be here. 
first of all, how did you get into narrative medicine in the first place? <laughs> Great question. So narrative medicine is just a field that's still fairly new. It's about 20, 25 years old. And, you know, there's a lot of ways in which narrative and medicine have been a long, around for a really long time. But I got into sort of the narrative medicine field through my interest in healthcare and storytelling and health equity and storytelling. And to be honest, I can't even remember how I came across the program. It was, it would have been, I came across the website probably in like 2013, 14, 15, and then kind of had my eye on, on the work that folks in the narrative medicine program and the narrative medicine community were doing for quite some time. And then in, during the pandemic, I was actually able to go to the program, the master's program at Columbia, um, in part because it had been online during the, during the pandemic. So, um, and then I, I finished the program in person in New York. So that's kind of how, how I learned about it was just something that was in my atmosphere on my radar. And then eventually I was able to kind of take action on it. Yeah. Haley and I are definitely talking about how like we would love to do that sometimes in our, sometime in our careers to do one of those workshops or, or classes that really just focuses and dives into storytelling and writing. So that's awesome. Today, we're talking about fear in medicine. And that's something that you explore in your poem that you just shared with us. And I'm curious if you'd be willing to talk about what the inspiration for this piece was. Yeah, so this piece came out of a number of different conversations that were happening. I think it's fairly clear during the COVID-19 pandemic and kind of the height of the pandemic. And it also kind of came, was, I should say, was inspired by narrative medicine and the work of narrative medicine. It's really important in narrative medicine workshops that there isn't a kind of breach of, of the, of the workshop space. Um, so, but this poem came from conversations that were happening within and around the workshop, which is Every year, a couple times a year, Columbia University hosts these kind of online, where they started during the pandemic, these sort of like large online narrative medicine conference workshop um, that bring together people from all over the world, really. So it was a really neat experience because I got to, from, you know, my little Zoom bubble in the height of the pandemic, meet different people from all around the world and hear about their experiences, both as, you know, clinical folks and then also people who weren't cl in clinical settings. And so it was really inspired by a lot of those stories. Talking, I guess, turning again to the poem that you shared with us, I'd like to explore why, why you chose the format of a poem and why you felt like this particularly was something that you, you needed to write about and to, to share in this way. I think that as a writer... There are, you know, I often think in terms of like broad categories of prose and, and, and poetry is sort of like two broad ways of, of splitting things up. And I think one of the things that poems do that felt really important around, around this topic and around what I was working on was just kind of like this mix of very intense potency, you know, like each in poems, you really, you really can't get away with anything unintentional. Like everything has to be very, very, very intentional. And ideally that's happening in prose, but there's a little more wiggle room. Um, and I say that as a writer of prose, you know, who is, who's primarily writes prose. 
With poems, for me, it's really often about potency and getting the absolute sort of right word and spending hours, if not days, really trying to like figure out which variation on where to put the dash, you know, and what the impact is. So that kind of like level of scrutiny felt very fitting for thinking about the pandemic. And then I think the other thing was both sort of the space around the poem. I think that visually, you know, poems have white space around them on the page. They're stark, at least more so than paragraph form. That was a factor as was this sort of, the poem itself feels very condensed to me. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of spaciousness within the poem. And not not the poem in general, just like this specific poem feels very dense. It feels very non-spacious. It's like all right there. And that felt like really important when we're talking about pandemic healthcare, that it was very heavy and very just a lot in a tight space. Totally. I <laughs> I really love that answer. I also write some poetry. I haven't shared it super widely. But my own personal approach to writing poetry that I feel that you echoed or said something similar to is to almost start with an emotion or like some feeling that I want to be able to capture and asking myself, what can I put on the page, whether that's words or how things are arranged and how it looks visually, that will evoke that same feeling when I read it back to myself. And I'm wondering if there's a specific emotion or feeling or substance that you started with or that you wanted to convey with this poem? To just respond to your point, Haley, I think too, you know, I've seen a lot of really, like I mostly work in nonfiction, so I'll speak about nonfiction. I've seen a lot of really brilliant nonfiction that uses the space on the page very deliberately and very creatively. And or one piece that comes to mind is Jenny Bully's The Body, which came out a while ago and really kind of lets the essay unfold and in the form of footnotes, but there's many more. So yes, I agree. Thinking about what the, what the visual element of the piece will be is, is a factor and can happen in, you know, multiple genres. It's going to be a factor in, I think almost every poem, you know, whether or not it's a factor in prose is, is sort of up to the writer, but I think probably most poets think about that with each poem. I mean, what I was what I was really trying to capture, I think, it is a little bit ineffable. I mean, it's a little bit like, especially because I was writing it during the pandemic. I think it's really hard to grasp onto something when you're in the middle of going through it, and so that's I'm struggling to kind of to latch on to one particular sentiment, partially because I think you know, a lot of really good literature hits on a lot of sentiments, right? It's not reducible to to one, as you know. Yeah, I think it's hard to hang a hat on one one sentiment because, um, because it felt like I was trying to capture all of these little disparate things that were floating in the air and, and just like trap them down on the page for long enough. Um, but yeah, did you, do either of you get a sense of, well, I mean, I guess fear, <laughs> You know, fear is obviously in the title is a big part of this. I don't know if there was a dominant sort of sensation that was coming to you as you read. I was really captured when I was reading it and I was sort of like putting together my first draft of these questions. I like went back and I read it a couple times. And I was really struck by visually 
how things are laid out. You're very deliberate with the spacing and how things are arranged. And it felt very fast, but very like disjointed almost to me. And it made me, it, it was, I was like really emotional. While I was reading it. I was sitting in our health sciences learning center in like this big common like atrium space. And I was, I was getting misty eyed. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Haley texting me about that. It was like the middle of a work day and she's like, I'm getting a little bit teary about this poem. <laughs> but I agree. I think for me, at least, um, fear sometimes is associated with loneliness in my head. And I think reading the poem, in addition to the actual words, but the way the sentences, phrases are kept short it does evoke the sense of loneliness and, and being alone. And the last line is lonely. And so I think it's more this mix of letting something go, feeling lonely about it. But then like that loneliness is tied to fear. But I'm not really sure what, I can't really pinpoint fear of what. There's just this fear with being alone. And I think that's the best way I can, I can describe it right now. But um, like you said, it's really hard to, capture a sentiment where there is so much going on. I mean, I definitely see both of what what you're both talking about in in the piece. And I, I think that, you know, during during the height of the pandemic, during the worst of the pandemic, that um, connection between fear and loneliness, they were almost inseparable. You know, um, people were in the hospital alone. I mean, not alone alone, but, you know, the pa- I'm speaking of patients were in the hospital behind layers and layers with the nearest human behind layers and layers of protection, unable to be with their loved ones. And for that, in that regard, essentially very much alone, fear and being alone. And then when we think about people who were isolating and, and, you know, there's a kind of loneliness that can emerge. And of course, folks who were isolating and, and, or in quarantine or in just staying at home. So I think it just kind of got to everybody in a different way, fear and loneliness, and not even mentioning here, you know, providers and what that experience as a non-clinician, I can only imagine what that was like. And having spent a lot of time with clinicians who, who worked during the pandemic, it just felt like those were just very dominant aspects of everyone's experience, I think. And then I think, you know, your point, Haley, about it being fast and disjointed, you know, I think that is a, a lovely description and just that is what it, I think that is what was intended, you know, in, in many ways, because it's like things have to move quickly, they have to move fast, but it doesn't, there's no sort of continuity between people inside and outside of, of a hospital setting or clinic setting. And then also sort of when we think about a surge, I mean, how could it not be? of it disjointed how could it not be fast you know yeah and Haley and I both started our clinical rotations in January of 2021 and so that really truly was winter time and for me I started off um, in hospital medicine and I think reading this poem just brought back that memory of it was still like no visitors allowed and everyone had to wear an N90 or us students had to wear an N95 and 
face shields. And it was really, really hard to build that empathy with all of that PPE on. In addition to it, that was just just when they started beginning doing vaccinations. So I think this reading this poem evoked that strong memory, um, bringing me back to 2021 was really, really powerful. You know, the face shield, the face shield image that you just brought to mind, Angie, in some ways, I, I want to give credit to Lori Moore, who's a phenomenal writer who had a story in The New Yorker called FaceTime. And that story came out in September of 2020. And it was a fictional piece, but it was about, as you might imagine, someone in the hospital dying and connecting through FaceTime with their loved ones and during the pandemic. And the, the image that Lori Moore uses is of this beekeeper. She calls to mind the idea of this beekeeping suit, the image, the picture of a beekeeping suit draped, you know, you know, those hats with the white sort of film around like white, you know, mesh. And, and so that is a bit of an homage to her, her, I thought it was just such an apt image. Um, and so the line about beekeepers is really thanks to her work. Yeah, that was a really striking line when I was reading it. And as someone who has spent time in hospital and clinic settings and has seen people wearing face shields and the whole like pepper hoods, I, I understood what that meant. Fortunately, a lot of my family members were not in healthcare settings during this time. And don't have any connection to healthcare, and I, I was very struck by the division of between people who would understand that reference and the people who would maybe not piece together why that is something in a poem about healthcare or being in a hospital or being unwell. I think it's a really apt image, and like I said, all, all credit goes to short story FaceTime. But I think that when, the more I think about it, even in this conversation, the idea of beekeepers, okay, if, if the clinician is the beekeeper, who's the bee, if we were going to extend that, you know, it would be the patients, right? And, and then thinking about the patients then as a kind of one in a hive, you know, I think it really speaks to Angie's earlier thoughts about how loneliness was so treacherous and so painful or I would say more that how loneliness was so painful. It's like hives aren't hives are hives because they, they run together. Right. That's like the point of that, (laughs) of, of, you know, and so if we think of just extending that further, it also feels like one of the things that came out of the pandemic for some people anyway, is an increased awareness of how crucial social networks are to humans and how much we need and rely on contact, both emotional, but also very much physical and just being in the same spaces. I remember some of the first times I was in rooms with other people after pandemic, how much energy of other people actually impacted my ability to, you know, be there and have energy and all of these things that we just, I think many of us sort of didn't think about thinking about (laughs) beforehand. Something else I really noticed when I was reading the poem is this repeated use of the word because, and I feel like that really resonated with me since that's something 
that I often search for in times when I am feeling afraid or uncertain is to try and find meaning or reasons or like justification for what's going on. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more about the use of this word because and to probe a little bit deeper into what the implicit question that you're answering there is outside of just a sort of amorphous like why yeah i mean it it comes up it's kind of the refrain of the poem is is not just because x not just because y and then we kind of get to because we kind of get the answer it's like it's not this it's not this it's not that it's you know this other thing and i think that in some ways like this poem to me feels like a funnel kind of thinking about these images that and then they kind of get funneled down so for example images of patients in beds and images of goodbyes and then more specifically coming down to one individual about four lines from the bottom and then one of the moves I think the poem tries to make is to cut sort of to the bone so to speak with why 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 because of fear and loneliness so in that way it sort of feels like this thinning that happens from the top of the page downward as a writer I think I mean there's a certain amount of there's a lot of work that we do on this side of the page before it sees the world to to try to get something to to say what you mean right and then once it kind of goes out into the world it's like I don't know man whatever you think, like, it's not mine anymore. (laughs) And that's this kind of letting go that has to happen. I mean, because people are other people are interpreting it now, you know, and so it's sort of like, you can try to grasp onto that and control it or, but you won't. So you might as well let go, you know, and I think that's been something I've learned through writing and over the years is you have all this time and energy spent on trying to get it quote unquote, right. And by that, I just mean, get it the way you want it. And then the way your sort of direction is pushing it. And then after that, it's, you know, it flies away. Totally. I feel like that's something I love about really all writing in general, but particularly about poetry is like how personal of an experience it is where there's some like universality to it, but everyone experiences and interprets it in a different way in the same way that like being fearful or being lonely is well, it is the same between people. It's also totally different for every person. It's it's kind of this play back and forth between a commonality of an experience and the importance and reality of the specificity of that experience. Like I can experience fear or disjointedness in a way that's extremely different and yet there's then someone else and yet there's still a kind of core and then how do you work with both of those fine commonalities and not equate um, all at the same time going back to interpretation and focusing on interpretation so this piece was published in april of 2021 so how do you feel about it now reading it again over a year and a half later, given that things have changed in your personal life, but also in the world. And I, I mean, I'd also love to hear 
how it feels for each of you at this particular moment as we record in, you know, September of 22. For me, I think in many ways it it's operates as a time capsule and it operates in a way that just or, or maybe even a time machine where I'm just brought back to that reality. I know that when the pandemic was beginning, I believe, you know, it's funny, it's, it's hard to remember all the details, right? It, it, I think, especially when we go through something that's challenging, or even traumatic, it's so hard to recount with concrete memory, oh, yes, this happened, you know, it's like, did I dream that? Or did something else kind of happen like that? Or um, we're not the most reliable of narrators always. But I remember getting an email. I'm on like this listserv for for George Saunders' work, and Saunders is a a, a writer I really, really admire. And and one of the things he talked about was the role of writers to try to take notes and take care to record what was happening, because there would come a time where we will need to be able to know what it was like. And even if it feels like he's sort of going on to say, even if it feels like as a writer, you're not doing much and in many ways, you know, what many of, many of us artists and writers are like, what are we supposed to do? You know, how are we supposed to contribute here? There will be a time and it, it may be during the situation. It may be after it may be in whatever weird kind of not after, but after phase we're in right now that we will need to look back and we will need to have collective memory. And I'm not sure culturally we're actually doing that. And I'm not sure we're really ready for that, or maybe we're ready for it and we're not doing it. That's kind of a different conversation, but that's what it, that's what it feels like to me. You know, I feel it in my body when I read this, I feel it on my stomach and kind of the deep discomfort and kind of the deep, like, oh, that's what, that's what it was for a while, you know, a reminder. I, I totally agree. I really like the language that you use when you call it like a time capsule almost. Cause that is, I feel like a lot of what I felt when I was reading it was as Angie was saying, we started our clinical rotations in January of 2021. And even in the absence of a global pandemic, that's a stressful and scary and kind of uncertain thing to do in medical school. That's a big transition. And so there was already sort of the sense for me, at least, of not really knowing what was happening just on the school front and not feeling like I had developed these useful skills yet and feeling really truly like I was so early on in my training and in like so far away from being a competent provider and someone who could contribute meaningfully. And on top of that, there was everything that was happening in the world where no one really knew what was going on or how things would play out. And there was this just huge, huge cumulative loss in terms of life and in terms of connection and in terms of like joy, really. And like a sense of security and all of that, I feel like really compounded to make me feel 
as I was saying before, like always rushed, but never towards any specific end and feeling really disjointed and totally useless in a space where there's a huge need for healthcare providers and health professionals. And I felt like I was just so like inadequate to like do anything where I was a lot of times like more of a liability where, you know, it meant like being in the clinic and learning these things meant using up valuable PPE and taking up time from doctors who could otherwise maybe be spending that like taking care of patients, uh, but instead they're educating me. And so there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of discombobulation and and fear and loneliness and a sense of ineptitude that I feel like was all very, very accessible when I read this. Um, we usually end with letting our guests um, have just the floor. And if there's anything else you want to say, it can be about this poem, narrative medicine related, anything uh, go for it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like where Haley brought my mind to there at the end was thinking about utility and how I think so, so many of us really feel a deep sense of, so many of us really feel like we need this, we need to be useful. We need a purpose. We need some kind of contribution that we're able to make. And I think that, I think that the pandemic fundamentally shook that, um, not the need, but the, the ways that we normally deliver that to our communities and to each other, because like we couldn't show up for each other physically, you know, in so many ways we couldn't, um, provide each other joy in the same ways we had to find new ways if we could to do those things. And, and so I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of ending this conversation, I guess, thinking about usefulness and thinking about what, what each of us can do in small and sort of big ways. And I, you know, you asked, you asked Angie about narrative medicine, if I wanted to add anything about narrative medicine. And I, I think one of the things that I really love about narrative medicine is the sense of reciprocity that emerges when we, when we, when we accept the reality. And it, I think it is a reality that the patient's story is extremely valuable. The patient's lived experience is extremely valuable in the delivery and partnership of care. When we accept that, then all of a sudden, everyone in that room is useful. Everyone in that room is bringing forward their own expertise. And it's not just you're a puzzle I have to solve. It's not just I'm delivering care to you. It's, it's a more reciprocal relationship. The patient has something that you need in order to do what you need to do. Um, you have something the patient needs in order for the patient to do what the patient needs. You're more bound up in one another. And I think, to me, that just feels truer. That just feels truer of the lived experience. listening to our conversations about fear in medicine. We'll see you again in two weeks when we explore medicine in the community.
Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. 